It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome back to the LaneCast here on the Talkin' Ag Lane podcast. Thanks for joining us here today, and we have a lot to talk about. We are sticking with the livestock industry here today. Our guest is the president of the Montana Stock Growers Association, Mr. Brian Massard. Brian, how are things going today? Things are going fantastic. I like that, the LaneCast. Well, you know... <laughs> pretty great. It's hard to be creative when you're just a, a broke ranch kid that has to talk for a living. So uh, that that's what we're calling this show. We're happy to have you as a guest. Welcome to your first time on it. Oh, thank you. Glad to be here. Well, Brian, there is a lot of issues, and that's one thing why we started this podcast is to talk about issues impacting agriculture, specifically Western livestock producers and those that live in rural communities. And as president of the Montana Stock Growers Association for the past two years, you have seen a lot of issues as you have headed the livestock group in the state of Montana. And one of those issues that I would like to start off with first here, Brian, is fake meat. We're hearing a lot of talk around Around companies like Tyson Meats, the largest meat company in the United States, investing $2.2 million into companies that are trying to develop fake meat, lab-grown meat. I don't like that. I like my beef raised out on the range and, and fed up on some corn. Why is this concerning? Why should consumers listening to this want all-natural beef and not something that's raised in a laboratory? Well, we've got to do a good job uh, letting the consumer know that, you know, their beef comes from the earth and not a Petri dish. And there's so much science out there back in that, you know, even these plants that are growing, like these hydroponics that are just growing out of pure water, never touch the earth ever. They just don't have um, th that wholesome nutrition that comes from the earth. And there's no way fake meat from a Petri dish, A, it's going to sell. It's a very small audience, and those large packers, are they've just put some investment money in front of there because they're in it like everybody else to make a buck on their segment of the industry. It's no different than the, the car guy and the, and the tire guy. You know, they're each, they each have their own way to make marketing. We're the, main, we're the mainstay. I mean, we're the bread and butter. We are the beef industry. And so I really want to caution people, we don't want to combat the fake meat from a fear standpoint we got the greatest product in the world we can we can we can bury these guys with nutritional facts we can bury these guys with taste we can bury these guys with we're out there on the landscape preserving it for all mankind and as they're trying to build a petri dish beef product to save the earth we ranchers are actually out there preserving the earth with open space and that's our message. And when you get all said and done, we're protecting all this wild landscape and, and all the habitat for wildlife and, and watersheds for all the clean drinking water. At the end of the day, then they get the highest nutrition, nutritional form of protein they can get. And they, they're not going to get that in a Petri dish. So our story is so much better. We run some fun ads with a picture of a Petri dish and a cow and birds and elk and stuff. It's over. I, I, I say it's a knockout in the first round. 
Brian, I think that's an important part is telling the story of the rancher and promoting beef. And for many out there, investing in like the beef checkoff, for example, is a way that uh, the beef is promoted to consumers. And you know these companies that are developing this fake meat, they're going to use millions of dollars to promote their product. That's why ranchers need to promote their product to consumers as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. The checkoff is so, so important. I mean, it seems like we as ranchers, a lot of time we nitpick how they spend their dollars. And, and, you know, a lot of times we play the the role of the armchair quarterback when we're out on our ranches irrigating or fixing fence. We think we know better. But, you know, we're trying to advertise to an audience that we're not in touch with every day. And there's some folks out there in marketing and advertising that, that can reach a lot of people on the other side that we don't even want to talk to. And that's that's so important. So pay that check off. Uh, put some trust in your marketing team. And there's lots of opportunities to get on those boards. There's a ton of opportunities. Every one of these beef checkoff meetings is open to the public. You can put your put your input in there and, and, and get your story out there to the consumer. We all have that opportunity. And Brian, I just want to backtrack a little bit to you made the statement that ranchers are saving the earth. They are. Uh, they are environmental stewards. And I would like you to maybe talk a little bit about the Environmental Stewardship Award that ranchers in Montana and across the nation all compete for. They compete for recognition of the hard work that they put into their natural resources. Yeah, that's kind of what we're talking about as far as, you know, I've been calling it preserving the West for you know, 20 years, but the Environmental Stewardship Program is designed to tell the story of the American rancher out there using that natural, renewable resource every year. And the message that's lost right now is that the environmental groups or just your general public that isn't in touch with ranching, they don't understand that we have to use that every year, and it's vital that you take care of it, you protect the water, you protect the environment, because you have to have that next year and the year after. And the message on the other side comes out that we just go out there and use it once and it's gone. And they've got to get rid of the cows, get rid of the ranchers, or they'll lose the resource. Well, in reality, when the ranchers go away, the resource is gone. Subdivisions and septic tanks uh, don't preserve the West. That's a good point you made there. And also, just the, the opportunity that you've had uh, explaining that to consumers. Because you are, I, I, I tell people about Brian Massard that he is a renaissance man. I truly believe that, Brian. Between your your ranching operation there, Reminis Angus, and also your ventures with Gorgeous Vodka, Cattle Baron Cigars, I don't think there's anything you can't sell. So let's talk a little bit about your operation down there for our folks that maybe don't know who you are. Let's talk about Reminis angus and how you got your start in the purebred angus breed uh i've been in love with cows as, as long as i can remember walking home from school and, and finding a set of steers in the alleyway my brother and i just started sorting them and just started getting interested in genetics and then when i got involved in a I started a bull test in western montana because there wasn't one in our area and uh, came up with uh, developing for longevity, which was new, and the bull test thing. And then that that rolled into my own Angus herd that I had bought in 1984, started selling bulls. And then we, what really, one of the catalysts is I'd met a farmer feeder in 92 that told me that when it's all said and done, somebody has to eat this product and they have to like it 
because they're not beholden to come back and buy it again. They can buy fish, they can buy chicken, they can buy pork. They don't have to buy beef, and sometimes ranchers forget about that. And that really stuck with me, because all I knew as a rancher is you just raised the biggest, best one. And next year, you better have a heavier weaning weight than you had this year. And your cow better have more milk. I mean, it was just performance, performance, performance is all I'd ever heard. And... That really struck with me. When I started thinking about the consumer in 1992, it changed everything. I'll tell you what, it was very confusing for a lot of years to get figured out, how do I focus on the consumer? How do we focus on what they want and produce it for them in an environment that we live in and in an animal that has to do all the job? I mean, basically our cow is our factory. And boy, that was a... That was a 20-year challenge, I'll call it. I'm a slow learner, but it really took, it really changed how I thought about things, and boy, I wouldn't do anything different. Um, it, you have to start from there, work it all the way back, and then decide if you want to do it or if you can't do it. You never go forward and say, well, this is what I do, and you better like it, or I'm going to punch you in the nose, and sometimes we're guilty of that. Also, I think that determination of you can do what you set your mind to, it's going to take time, it's going to take a little bit of patience. I think that is really reflected also on your years of leadership within the Montana Stock Growers as well. And over the past two years, we've seen a lot of changes, positive changes for rural America with uh, different administrations and play on the state and the national levels. Let's dive into a little more about, uh, you know, getting off of the ranch and taking that time. I know it's hard to leave your operation, but uh, you have made that uh, that commitment and uh, surrounded yourself with some great people on your operation to get away, to go to Helena, Montana, to the Capitol, to go to Washington, D.C., to travel, to promote the livestock industry. Let's talk about your role as a leader and maybe your last trip out to Washington, D.C., whether it's the ELD issue, uh, Forest Service issues, BLM, the EPA. There's a whole lot of things you've had input on. At the very first stock growers meeting I went to in 1994 in Helena, um, Somebody made the comment, one of the speakers said, if it's going to be, it's up to me. And I learned at that meeting, too, that uh, you, if you're going to go to meetings, A, we're all busy. Not, I, I don't have time to go to meetings. I don't have time to go and have the lunch and work the present box. So if I go to a meeting, I really want to know where are we going, why are we going there, and what exactly are we going to get done today. I, I don't want to just go shake hands. And so just spent a lot of time learning on a how do you get invited to that room how do you keep the door open where that you have a seat at that table but i'm very i guess i'm very adamant that uh, i want to eat too i don't want to just sit at the table i want i want to eat too and so when i've really learned that whether it's with the epa or the department of transportation or the blm or the forest service when you go in to talk to those folks have something very specific if you want something changed and not be real general, don't talk about the whole agencies because these things are huge. We would like this specific thing changed, and this is how we think it can be changed, and this is why we think it can be changed. And then when they give you, they'll give you feedback, every one of them. They'll, they'll tell you, if you're listening, this is how you got to get that done. And that's where the homework really starts is are you willing to take that feedback from them? And if they send you over to a congressman and say, you've got to get this done legislatively because our hands are tied, then you've got to get to your congressman immediately and tell them specifically what needs done and help them write some legislation. And then it gets back to these agencies, and then you can see some change. 
Now, there's a lot of back and forth we've learned between the state and the federal. They, they like to play the good cop, bad cop thing where the state says our hands are tied and the federal government says, hey, we're, states can do what they want. And you got to pin them down. you got to look them in the eye and say, hey, that's untrue and force them. And that's just part of this, what I call the 40-year bureaucracy. Those people, they know that administrations come and go, and they feel pretty safe in their job. And it takes a pretty sharp prod to get them to move. And you gotta, you got to find out who the decision makers are, who the key people are, and get in there and have a conversation. And then we've got to follow up and execute what we said we were going to do. And then you got to make them follow up. And we're seeing some things... We're seeing some things happen. We've been invited to help them make change. We've been invited to help uh, change regulations and give them specific um, information. And so I, I am I'm more enthused and more excited about our future today than I have been in 40 years. Brian, you, you made a really good point about uh, having a seat at the table and also getting to eat at that table as well. Uh, just last week, I had a livestock caller named Ryan Larson on the LaneCast, and we talked about the impact that the ELDs, the electronic logging devices, would have not only on his operation, but the entire livestock sector and how that would impact prices of food and whatnot. And you have been at the table with the leaders there in Washington, D.C. that are going to make that decision or help put policy forward, hopefully, to exempt the livestock industry from the ELDs. Let's talk about that briefly. Well, yeah, we we presented to them in December, which was a real shock to me, the animal welfare side of it. And we talked to them about, you know, we're not hauling bricks. We're not hauling logs. This is a live animal. And if you put these regulations into place, all you're doing is creating a government station for a transportation station and the liability of sick animals and animals dying from folks that are buying them sight unseen on videos is huge. That expense goes into it and then those animals get turned around after they're processed and they come back. And so you're adding expense to the consumer and you're really not even paying attention to the welfare of a live animal, which we as livestock producers are charged with taking care of that animal. We have all the animal rights groups are watching us very, very closely. And you set up a deal like that, where we're unloading these cattle in the dark at stockyards and loading them back up, and the sickness and the illness and stuff. Boy, that comes back on us, not them. And so, again, you've got this huge bureaucracy that hadn't even thought of that. And when we left that room that day, they said, you know, we've been working on this for two years, and we heard things this morning that we hadn't even thought about. And so that's the conversation that we began. And then we told them that we do not want an exemption. We don't want a two-year exemption. We don't want a six-month exemption because people will forget about it. And this thing will come back up again or a new administration will come back up again and we're going to be faced with gathering up all this energy again and trying to fight it. I said, we want something done that's common sense that we can go down the road permanently. And they said, that meeting, you go to your congressman you get something read, you get something done legislatively that we can plug in, and then we can follow those rules. And so, we've met with all our congressmen, we've met with the NCBA, and we've come up with some guidelines that we think everybody, everybody we've talked to, and we've talked to truckers all over the country, uh, feeders all over the country, and of course we're in Montana, we're one of the furthest away shipping points. So we got a lot of, you know, the time. Uh, we kind of understand what it takes to get on their 16, 17-hour trip. 
And Brian, on that point, that's why it's so important for farmers and ranchers to be involved in an advocacy group because they might not have the time today to go to Helena or go to Washington, D.C. and have their voices heard, but they are investing in their peers and other fellow farmers and ranchers to be their voice and advocating in issues just like the ELDs. And this is just one of the issues that you've been working on with your fellow leaders here in Montana and across the nation. Also, you've been working on Forest Service issues, the BLM issues, and the EPA. You want to get into those a little more? So there's a lot to talk about each one, so I'll try to be brief on there. But, uh, you know, walking into the Secretary of Interior's office is a breath of fresh air. It's like you and I talking on this podcast. We, we sit down, we come up with a criteria list. What, what are we doing about bears? What are we doing about bison? What are we doing about brucellosis? What about taking care of Yellowstone Park? And with, with Secretary Zinke, um, he's there on the ground with you. We're making plans. He's making management plans. And if somebody in within the agency or within that department isn't willing to manage and stop observing, they're going to have another job somewhere. And that's that's been really nice. I know there's a lot of concern about the BLM's proposal up there on the CMR here in Phillips County about taking down all the interior fences on the BLM up there and let the bison go year-round. And I've been discussing this with Ryan for four years now. Four years ago, he said no. And in April, when we were back there, he said absolutely not. I have not changed my position. If the riparian areas are important to keep ungulates off of it year-round, then the riparian area is important. And bison is a grazer. Cattle are a grazer. So if you're going to take the fences down for bison, you're going to take them down for cattle. Now one of their 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 district uh, rangers up there just came out a week ago, which was really shocking, and said that taking all the fences down up there and running those cattle or running those bison year-round is no different than just hundreds of grazing plans that they do every year, which is just a out-and-out falsehood. And I called them that morning. I said, you guys had better not have changed your position. And Brian Steed, the acting director of the BLM, said, absolutely not. We have not changed our position. Um, you know, and I, we just welcome that open door that when you have people at these agencies, I mean, there's been a pretty, pretty hard push from the environmentalists in the last 30 years within these agencies. We just continue to see constrictions reducing AUMs. They don't have any money for fencing. They don't have any money for uh, managing sagebrush. They don't have any money for water projects or anything. All they do is fight lawsuits and then they just cut AUMs. But, I mean, there's a, there's an underlying push to move the cattle off. And so the BLM I feel really confident with, but we've got to be there at the table to help them make decisions that will last a long time. We can't just make them last for four to six years and President Trump is gone and then a new agency comes in that flips right back. We're trying to make long-term changes. Now, how about the EPA? Let's just stick with the EPA and then we'll maybe talk a little bit more tr about trade. We'll take a break and then talk about the mid-year stock growers meeting and then we can talk more about some of these other issues down the road. But it seems that the EPA administrator has got himself in a little bit of hot water here recently, but there's also been a lot of positive aspects of what the uh, administrator has done for rural America. What's your take on that? Well, we met with we met with uh, Scott Pruitt when we were there, and 
boy, you talk about somebody we need to have in there, needle in there for the last 20 years. Uh, he understands burdensome regulation. He understands things that need to get taken care of. And he sat down at the table and he said, what do we need to do? And we told him about how the, the CAFO regulations, they, they just add 10 pages a year to what we're doing. And it's just, it's gotten to the point, it's just mind-boggling. We almost have to hire a secretary just to keep up with the CAFO regulations. And I said, the state tells us that their hands are tied, that you guys are forcing them to do that. We call here, your department says that, hey, the states can do whatever they want, and yet the regulation grows. And so he asked us why we were there. He said, well, why don't you help us get that straightened out? And so I've been asked to uh, get on the agriculture, the agriculture team with the EPA and help get some of that regulation with the CAFOs rolled back. Second thing we asked him was we met with the Forest Service and asked them why they can't do controlled burns in March and April when there's some moisture up there or October and November. And I said the EPA regulations for emissions, the smoke, are so strict that they cannot do controlled burns when they need to. They have to wait until summer, and by the time summer rolls around, their entire crew and staff is out fighting fires. So I said, that needs to be taken care of, and he said that they were going to work on that immediately, and I hope to actually have an announcement on those two things by mid-year this year. Now, as far as his trouble goes, yeah, he spent some extra money. Um, he's probably done some things that he probably shouldn't have done, but when you look at the um, a report that came out here, I heard it a couple of weeks ago, the report that uh, he spent only about 20% of what the administrator fit, spent in the last administration on the same stuff. The only difference is, is, is Scott Pruitt works for President Trump and everybody's going to know about it and nobody paid attention to it before. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he's under budget. As long as he's under budget, um, He's going to have to make sure he toes the line again. And, and what we saw with Tom Price, the human health secretary, those weren't really guidelines put on by the U.S. government. All those guys are within the budget to what's been going on back there for years. President Trump said, you will not take advantage of the American people. You will not spend money unwisely. And he's the one that's got after him. It's really not. They, they're not outside of what's been going on there. And actually, they're spending less than what those other folks ahead of him have. But that's what I like about this president, uh, as he means it. Well, let's continue to talk about the administration's role and the stock growers' role in enhancing beef trade with China. We're going to take a quick break, and we will be back right after this. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on the Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and other podcast apps. Now, back to the show. Well, as we come back, Brian Massard, the president of the Montana Stock Growers Association, a rancher from Dillon, Montana, joins us on the phone. And Brian, just last year, the president and U.S. senders and the Montana Stock Growers and beef producers across the nation were elated to hear that the beef trade between the U.S. and China had reopened since 2003 when a beef ban was put into place by China. That was big news for producers here, and uh, we've had a little bit of a, uh, uh, a fear out there in the countryside with possible tariffs on agriculture goods. And this past weekend, we had the U.S. Trade Representative and other U.S. officials in China talking with Chinese officials to resolve some things. But uh, this is still a big opportunity for beef producers, especially in Montana, to try and get into that Chinese market. 
Yeah, it's a big opportunity, and I think that opportunity is still ahead of us. Um, for the first time, we've got a president saying we're a half a billion dollars behind annually in a trade deficit, and we'd like to level that a little bit. They only asked for $200 billion of it back. The U.S. was willing, his trade team was willing to leave $300 in the Chinese uh, to their advantage. And so that's the starting block. All he's asking for is if we're going to be neighbors, we're going to be partners, let's start acting like it. Let's level this a little bit. And my personal feeling is is trade, negotiation, making deals is President Trump's hallmark. I cannot see him failing on this because uh, um, it's a failure of his entire presidency if he fails on trade because that's who he is. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident with the with the China deal. It may be a little rocky right now. We may hear a lot more in the media and all the traders are going to take advantage of the emotion to make some money on it. But I, long term, uh, I'm pretty confident in what trade deal is going to come out. I'm very confident in the NAFTA trade deal. Same thing is basically the United States pays all the bills. The United States is there to answer the phone every time a country needs help. And so we're just asking for, hey, let's, you know, we can't give it all away. We'd like to sell something to him, make some money. And he's he's the first American, I feel like, that's in that office, not a politician. It seems like we've had a whole a whole long run of global globalist politicians in there. And, and you know, I, I was concerned that maybe he was a protectionist. But as you get in and you dive in deeper to the actual numbers, just asking for a fair deal really isn't a protectionist attitude. And so I'm... I'm fairly confident we're going to come out of NAFTA, we're going to come out of China. Heck, look what he's done with North Korea. That's a direct, to me, That that's a good lead to what's going to happen in China and NAFTA. That's um, pretty amazing. Well, I'd like to hear your insight on that, and I know this will be one of the many issues, and of course, uh, policy will be discussed uh, coming up here in just a few weeks down in Dillon as the Montana stock growers will hold their mid-year meeting June 14th and 15th. And this is in your backyard, Brian, and you have really, uh, I guess, uh, shifted gears to make this mid-year meeting uh, as big as it possibly could be. Let's talk about it and, and why folks should attend, not just the, uh, the folks that always go to the meeting, but why the community and people from across the region should come down to Dillon. Well, yeah, we've, I guess we kind of got all the horses saddled for this one. Typically, stock growers will come in. It's a mid-year. It's just a business meeting. We come in. Is there anything going on throughout the year that's going to be coming up, you know, for our annual convention? We come in. We do our business, and we, we have a few cocktails, and we visit with some folks. But we talk about the same things all the time. We talk about the gap between us and the consumers, and yet we don't talk to the consumers. We talk about the gap and, and the frustrations with all these agencies, but we don't have them there to talk to. And so... I've really made the point this year to we're inviting the entire community and surrounding area to this event. And we really want to interact. This is our chance to present ourselves as preserving the West. Here's the people out on the landscapes that you hear about. Here's the people that you'd like to access to go hunting on. Um, here's where your food comes from. And it gives us an opportunity to listen to some, to some consumers that invited the whole community we have our business meetings set up as usual. Uh, we'll do them in an afternoon. We like to get our business done quick. We try to spend our directors that are very busy all year long getting anything that might be coming along so that we can do a nice quick business meeting in four hours. And then if people are going to come that far to drive this year, I really wanted to make it a special event. I really wanted to 
let people know that ranchers are such a such a deep part of preserving the West. And so we're going to have a we have our foundation auction and dinner every year. This year we're having a gala event where we're all going to dress up and turn to the century old West gear and have fun with that, similar to what happened in Miles City for the 125th. People just had a blast dressing up. They just love dressing up in old gear and, and having fun and going out to dinner. And at that auction, <clears throat> normally we get some really good items donated to it. We auction those off. This year, I, was, I really wanted to do something authentic, so I have five Montana artists commissioned to do original art pieces for this event. And I just gave them all the same theme. I said, Montana Stock Growers, preserving the West for 134 years. And I gave them the history that Teddy Roosevelt and Granville Stewart were at the first meeting in Miles City in 1884. And I gave them each a little different thing and turned them loose with it. And so they've turned in those those sketches of what it's going to be and i'll tell you what lane those things are those are fantastic and they're just for this event so if they're you know like montana art collectors that want to get our authentic stuff this is going to be different than just some pieces donated for it second thing we got is we've got uh, we're going to rent, uh, auction off four raft trips for the next morning at 6 a.m to 9 a.m and we're going to have some folks in those rafts um the head of the B, you know, the head of the BLM, the head of the Forest Service, Senator Danes is going to be um, in a raft. Uh, the incoming president, uh, Jennifer Houston, is going to be in a raft. So we're going to auction those off. And if you want to bend their ear and, and talk to them about stuff, you can come in and buy them. And you got three hours of undivided time fishing on the Beaverhead River that next morning with those folks. And so that's that's going to be a fun thing. We've got a really really good uh, working ranch saddle, a thirty-five hundred dollar saddle donated to us by Atomic 79. We've got $400 pair of boots and a new hat donated. So those those auction items are really special this year. Uh, so we're hoping to attract some, some folks for that. The prime rib dinner, JBS is donating the beef for the entire event. So for that dinner that night, the next day we're having two cook-offs. One at 1 o'clock is going to be a churrasco beefsteak cook-off. There's several local restaurants participating in that. And then at 5 o'clock, they'll be doing the prime rib cook-off, and we'll have prizes and awards for those two events. Um, so backing up to Friday morning at 8 o'clock, there'll be a breakfast there at the fairgrounds. So everybody coming in, getting ready for a 500-horse parade that will be at 11 o'clock. They can come in, get some breakfast, we'll get organized, and then when those folks get off those float trips from 10 to 11, we'll have an hour natural resource egg briefing from 10 to 11. And then from 11 to 1 will be the 500 horse parade. We've got, we're, we're having a meeting with, we've got eight people helping us with the parade every Monday we're meeting. And there's, there's wagons coming from Montana, Idaho, Wyoming, stagecoaches, Sheep wagons, uh, drill teams, 4-H clubs, FFA clubs, ranches are coming. They've got banners made for the ranch. They're going to ride it in there. We've got stock or membership scarves that we're going to ride. So anybody's welcome to ride. And if you're a member, you're going to get be able to put a scarf on and signify the stock growers and what they do. So that's going to be fun. It'll be the biggest parade of its kind in Montana. And then we come back to the fairgrounds. After that, during the cook-off, we're going to circle up all those old wagons, and we're going to have a little band, a local band there playing with some background music, and people are going to be able to walk around and look at those old wagons, and we'll have some bar stations set up where you can have a toddy and sit down and, 
and visit with some friends you haven't seen. And then GeneSeq has partnered up with us, and we've got some seed stock producers that are going to be bringing some yearling bulls or yearling heifers, and they're going to have full DNA on them. And then the folks get to try to match up. Like there'll be five heifers in a pen, one through five, and then they'll have had DNA data on their marbling, ribeye, and feed efficiency, and it'll be one through five. And then you got to try to match which is the best and which is the worst. And and Gene Seek will talk about how important it is. Can you tell? Can you tell by looking at them? And what technology is done, and what we can find out with DNA. So that's going to be fun to be doing that that afternoon in between the two cook-offs and visiting. And then at 7 o'clock, we have Saints and Angels coming in from Nashville. And uh, George Strait is their, his manager, has picked them up. They're a fairly new band. They have the original guitar player from Florida Georgia Line. This is the first event he's done since he quit playing with Florida Georgia Line, Brian Bond. So that's uh, pretty special that he's coming out and participating in this event. The lead singer, Ray Monte Cristo, with Saints and Angels at the Neat Store. You talk about a, a guy that loves America. He's from Cuba. His dad was leading a rebellion against Fidel Castro in 1961. And they got caught, 27 of them out in the woods, and they lined them up and they shot him. And they didn't shoot him because he was only 18. He got thrown in prison, escaped, came to America legally. Um, it's a great American family, a great story about how you come here, respect and appreciate this country, and he's a country western singer. They're going to be a fantastic headliner band, and Kyle Shobe is going to be opening up for him. So we've got a great concert to wrap the whole thing up. Well, man, I get to see Kyle Shobe. I, I grew up with Kyle. I, I worked for his family in the auction business there in Lewistown, and, and Kyle's uh, drummer is my uh, my barber. Did you know that? Oh, I did know that. That's yeah. fantastic. He's actually going to be walking around. I wanted uh, you and him to be going around interviewing people and emceeing the event on Friday, all the events that are going on, so everybody can you know have fun paying attention to that. All right. Well, uh, I'm I'm excited. It's going to be a fun time down there. I you might need to get a horse for me to ride though in that parade. I, I don't we know. We got if lots. Perfect. Well, Five hundred. <laughs> I'll sign you up. Well, well, Brian Massard, he joined us here today on the LaneCast. It was just great catching up with you and, and talking about uh, your, your your leadership role for the livestock industry in Montana and across the nation, and I truly am impressed. I cannot wait till the middle of June for the Montana Stock Growers Mid-Year Meeting. It is more than a meeting. It is a celebration. That's what I'm going to call it, the Mid-Year Celebration. If you're interested in learning more about the stock growers and their Mid-Year Meeting and all the festivities going Going on in Dillon, you just visit the Stock Growers website at mtbeef.org. Brian, before we wrap this up, is there anything else you'd like to tell the listeners today? No, uh, I guess I don't have a whole lot to say. Uh, the Stock Growers is, is a, it's quite an organization, 1884. Uh, we've been around a long time. Uh, it's just my turn to serve right now. There's so many good people involved, but the milk isn't free. And it's so important to get involved. We got a lot of a lot of local sponsors. We got a lot of local ranchers here that are putting up sponsorships that just appreciate what's going on. And and now's the time. I would say anybody within earshot, we've really got we've been I would say beaten down for the last 30 years and taking handouts. And and there's a lot of people that have been discouraged. They quit going to meetings. 
they quit giving, they quit getting involved because they don't think it's going to get anywhere. And we have seen a turnaround, and it's going to take every one of us to show up, every one of us, if we're going to see some long-term change. So come down and have a cigar with us and enjoy the time. Well, Brian, we do look forward to coming down there and seeing you very soon. And Dylan, June 14th and 15th will be the mid-year celebration of the Montana Stock Growers Association. And that's going to do it for today's LineCast. I'm Lane Northland your voice for agriculture. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.